connections will empower and enable. If they're looking for a new job, 85% comes from who you know, not what you know. It's from networking. Promotion, 70% more likely to have a promotion within one year if you've got an active mentor relationship. 92% of people trust referrals from people that they know and are four times more likely to buy. People do business with people they like over better pricing, over better products, even health. I love this. Julia Holt Lundstadt out of Brigham Young University did research on social isolation and the loneliness epidemic. It has more impact on your health than obesity. It's more detrimental to your health than to be lonely, to be lonely, Mm -hmm. to be socially isolated. It is equal on your mortality to smoking 15 cigarettes a day for 10 years. Wow. It is what are you working on? What are you striving for? Getting connected will help you accomplish it, period. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. I've known Michelle longer than almost any guest. I met her in business school, which would mean 2005, 2006, almost 15 years ago. You'll hear how friendly she is, partly from our being friends, But I've also seen her in a room full of unknown people where she attracts people to her, they like her. She learned to practice these skills and how to teach and develop them in others. She wasn't always that way, nor did becoming that way come naturally. A lot of people look at her and think, oh, she was just born that way. She approaches connecting to help you develop your skills and to enjoy the results, to make them, the other person, feel good and for you to feel good. I have little patience for people exchanging business cards only, just making connections on LinkedIn. I don't know what happens in other fields, but after you write a few books, LinkedIn floods you with people claiming to help you find clients, market your books, and so on. Michelle does the opposite. She creates meaningful connections. She creates networks where people want to help you. Anyway, after our early joking, Michelle gets into her specialty to hear what her book is about. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Michelle Letterman. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for coming over. And... You know, I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to ask, but your book just came out days ago. Yes. And I want you to share, can you please brag? You, you <laughs> would be humble on your own, but I know you just told me how the book is doing. And I think it's important for people to hear this. Well, the funny thing is, is the book is doing so well because of the lessons I teach in the book. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I, I wanted that to be the segue. It's like, this is, the book is called The Connector's Advantage. Yes. And this is The Connector's Advantage is when the book launches, it becomes number one in one category two and in overall all of nonfiction number 17 wow (laughs) (laughs) that's an amazing start and 11 11 laws of likability did pretty well too yeah actually we're in 10 languages with that book wow this is the connector's advantage (laughs) i mean you i've known you so i met you through your husband from 10 15 years ago uh let's see class of 2006 yeah yeah, so probably about 2004. And is there, there's, it's not like you were 
born a Kardashian or something like that. What do you have any special advantages that others don't? I don't think that I was born with anything. And I don't necessarily think that you have to be born with anything. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the things I'm trying to accomplish with this book is that anybody can infuse the seven mindsets that I talk about into their interactions to get the same advantage. And, and that advantage is very simple. Faster, easier, better. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Faster, easier, better. Whatever it is you're working on. Like, so I'm working on a book launch. If you want a new job, if you want a promotion, if you are get, trying to grow a business or start a business or get a sale or a referral, whatever it is you're working on, you're going to accomplish it faster, easier, and often with a better result. And there's something for me that is really, people here at Environment, and they're always thinking like deprivation and sacrifice. And I want to share, it's fun. It's, in, it's rewarding on a personal level. Are you working hard at what you're doing or is it, or even, actually, that's funny because I bet you are working hard. Yes. I bet you love it. <laughs> Does it feel like it's drudgery? Like, are you like, do, do you jump out of bed or is it like, ah, oh, got a slog? I, I think whatever we do, if we are mission-based, if we are purposeful in what we're doing, then um, we're going to have those moments of get to and want to that I talk about. You're really connected to what you're doing, but it doesn't mean it's all easy. Like, I'm not for a minute going to say that there are moments where I'm like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> because it, it's exhausting when you are pushing, but you're pushing because you care. I literally, right before the book came out, was like, one last push, one last push. It was like birthing a child. Yeah, yeah, it sounds <laughs> And you want to, I mean, because that feels to me the hallmark of people, who, people who love what they do. It's they work hard and, and they look back at the work they did with gratitude. I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel a sense of pride of literally ushering a child into the world. Like when you, and, and you're writing a book and you've written books and when you put your heart and your beliefs um, and your teachings for others to then use, utilize, judge, whatever you want to call it, it it's kind of like putting a child out into the world and you, you hope that they will do well. <laughs> and so you, you're working hard you're making what you have achieved for yourself available to everyone. Yes. How did it start with you? Is there a story? Is there an origin story? I, I apologize if you've been asked this many times before. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I have been asked, and, and I never had that, like, origin story. But yet, there are stories that stick with me. Mm -hmm. And one of them was actually maybe less than a decade ago. Uh, and my birthday is right around the holidays. And so when I get a birthday gift, we always have that holiday time frame for returns. And I got a laptop. I am a little tech averse in that it takes me a while to make that change. And so I just kind of ignored that beautiful new laptop for weeks. And my husband finally was like, you got to at least try it to see if you like it because we're not going to be able to return it. So I started working with it. And I'm like, yeah, I like it. And I'm like, no, I don't like it. I want to return it. And I figured that out three days after <laughs> period ended yeah exactly and so I took my laptop wrapped it all back up I went and he's like you're not gonna be able to return it I'm like well let's just try and I went to Best Buy and I met the salesman and he said oh you're past the date and I said I know I said but can you make magic happen and he's like I really can I'm like I understand is there anybody who can make magic happen <laughs> and he offered to introduce me to his boss and I said great I really appreciate that rather than you know, give me your boss and, and really having an attitude. I just said, I would, would appreciate that. And could you tell him I was nice? Mm -hmm. So instead of that boss coming over, like ready to be like for a fight and saying no, he came over and was like, so I hear you want to return something past the expiration. I'm like, I do. He's like, you know, I can. I'm like, I do. I'm like, but what if you could? Uh -huh. <laughs> and I said, and 
It's really not a return. It's actually an exchange. Can I show you the one I'm really looking at? Uh-huh. And so he's, he's like, well, show me. And so we continue the conversation. And what do you think happened? <laughs> I'm guessing he thanked you or felt really good about helping you out. He had a great day. He made the exchange. And when I came back about two days later, I saw him and I'm like, hey, I'm getting my new phone now. And he remembered me. And I put a smile on his face. People enjoy um, doing good things. And when you make somebody want to help you, you get a better result. And for me, it's something that really just sticks with me. And, and I have a million stories like that where people are so accustomed to be treating, treated badly. You know, like when you call customer service and you're annoyed and you have a late fee or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I gave the bills to my husband a while back and I kept getting late fees, which really does not work for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he would come into my office to be like, Ugh. and I was like, how much? And it was like over a hundred dollars. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me. I said, call up. And here's exactly what you're going to say. It doesn't matter who answers the phone. You're going to say, help me get out of trouble with my wife. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. He called up and he did that. And the person on the other end of the phone laughed hysterically. And I don't remember if it was a man or a woman because it works either way. (laughs) And he got the entire fee refunded. That reminds me of a story actually in business school when uh, I was doing a project with this guy and he was he didn't respond for like weeks and we, like right at the deadline, he barely, I was really annoyed at him for leaving me high and dry. And I was like, what's the deal? And he goes, well, let me start off with this. My marriage is intact. Yeah. And I was like, oh, suddenly like it totally diffused all of my, I wasn't angry anymore. Yeah. Now. It's me, perspective, right? And I think it's perspective and you, I think are leading people into the perspective. And now when you said magic or when you said my wife are there principles underneath that you're using and we're, we're seeing what the result Yeah. and the book is about how someone else can come up with the right phrase or the right wording or it's the mindset. And so the subtitle of the book is seven mindsets to increase your influence and impact. Hmm. And I'll, I'll list out those mindsets. We'll see if how my memory holds connectors are open and accepting. Uh-huh. They have a clear vision. They believe in abundance. They trust. They're social and curious. They're conscientious. And they have a generous spirit. All right. I had to count on my fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you develop these things? Well, if you think about the examples that we gave, I had a clear vision of what I was trying to accomplish in all scenarios. And that's a really critical component to the connector's advantage. A lot of times people are talking about networking. And I always say networking is something you do. A connector is someone you are. It is entirely your approach and your philosophy of how you are relationship-focused and relationship-based in your interactions. But if you don't know what you're working on and you're not willing to ask for it, you will not capture the advantage. So I think that's a first step for a lot of people. So this keeps happening to me. People say stuff on this conversation and and they get me thinking and then there's like dead air. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't, I should say something. (laughs) So I thank you for causing me to think a lot because it's a mix of, I'm trying to decide if you're putting people first or your own interests first. Or if it's a mix of... It's always that people are first. It's always that the relationship is what is important, not a yes. I actually teach people how to make it easy for somebody to say no to you. Because if they want to say no, they're going to say no. If they have to say no, they're going to say no. No is very uncomfortable. And no then can put a relationship at risk. So I would rather get a no 
and strengthen a relationship and make somebody comfortable with that. And there might be a yes down the road and there might not be, but I still have the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it isn't just about, that's actually, it's one of the mindsets that I think is critical in the big picture, but it's not the foremost, most important, here, start with this mindset. Mm-hmm. It is one that uh, I think these mindsets enable each other. Right? So having a mindset of abundance enables trust, enables a generous spirit. Being conscientious enables trust. I mean, they all kind of work together. You know, one of, the, one of my measures, people ask me sometimes what makes a good leader or not. I don't know if you're doing it on purpose, but you're like totally exemplifying. One of my measures of a great leader or of effective leadership is how big of something, well, one of them is how many people are in your network, but not, I'm sorry, not how many people, how many followers you have, how many people want to follow you, want to do things that you, whether you not, I'm not saying telling them what to do. And you weren't telling the guy, exchange my computer. You were, you had a goal in mind, but that's, you weren't telling him. But the other thing is the bigger things that you can get people to do and they thank you for it. And I feel like that's happening with you, that you're, you've created a way that you influence people, that they want, that they're glad that they followed you, that, they, that you've made their life better through the interaction. I never thought of it that way, but I feel like if I can leave an interaction with a very strong positive mood memory, which is a concept from the 11 Laws of Likeability, mm-hmm. if somebody feels like they feel good after interacting with me, then I'm happy, whatever the result. And, and then I, I have to connect that back. And that leads to, am I right? That leads to a number one bestseller, bestseller book. <laughs> so far, so good. Because <laughs> most people, I, man, you do online marketing and there's so much of like trying to get you to buy stuff and get you to do things. And you're doing a, what feels like a different way of operating, but you're succeeding where many of them don't succeed. Well, that's what, you know, when I wrote the first book, The 11 Laws of Likeability, it was an answer to the question that everybody asked me, I built a pretty big business. I got a lot of name brand clients, uh, Madison Square Garden, the MoMA, you know, a lot of financial firms, Citibank, Deutsche Banks, you know, name the bank. And people were like, well, how did you do that? And the first book was literally to answer that question. But it was also taking some analysis of the fact that, you know, we talk about origin stories. You know, if I go back even further, I don't always feel that I was likable. I, I felt like I had friends but they liked me or they hated me. (laughs) Uh And I felt that I was a very polarizing personality and I didn't understand what I was doing. So I wanted to understand what it was that I was doing that enabled strong connections or repelled these connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where that book came about. It was about understanding how connection forms. So when we think about connection, um, you can't make somebody like you. It's it's not possible. Mm -hmm but you can enable them to see what's likable about you. And I think that's the puzzle that I like to solve with every person is, you know, where and why will we connect? I know it's possible. (laughs) So I'm trying to guess at your, I feel like your, what's driving you is that people could figure this out on, on their own. It's something great. And I think you want to make it easier for them. They could figure it out on their own and take years. I don't know if we all figure it out on our own, to be honest. I wasn't, this wasn't always my mindset. This is a learned mindset. And that's what I want people to understand is we have our tendencies. I can still be reactive. I can still have struggle sometimes controlling my emotions in a a volatile situation. And I have to take that breath and I have to remind myself. And there's questions that I ask myself and there's questions that I give you in the book that can help you start to take these from conceptual 
idea to practice in your life. So for me, one of my favorite questions, and this one's not in the book, so only your listeners are getting it. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say how I feel about this in an hour. You know, will this serve me tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And if you can think in the moment what you really want to do, and an hour from now how you're going to feel about doing it, uh-huh. you will be more reflective and more responsive rather than reactive. Yeah, I can see how useful that would be in when arguments are just about to start. <laughs> Especially if both parties can ask that same question. And you, you talk about seven mindsets. You also have seven types of connectors. If I did I get the number right? Yes. That was not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the math geek inside of me is like, so there's 49 connector my, but that's Oh no, <laughs> that would mess with my brain. Uh what kind of connector am I? Can you tell? It's not like we're wearing signs, but let me talk you through because I want everyone else to kind of think about where they fall on the spectrum. And, and here's the thing. I don't want people to think that the global super connector is what everyone's goal should be. Granted, the higher up the spectrum you go, the greater the advantage you have, the more ability you have to help others within your network. Um, and so the more connected you become to your network. However, not everybody needs to strive to that level. What I would say to anybody listening is just up at one level. I don't think there's really any non-connectors out there. I mean, maybe there's a few people who really don't like people, who don't value relationships, who don't ever go outside their house. I'm sure, right? But for the majority, I would say most of us are at least emerging, emerging in these mindsets, emerging in these practices. And as we start to um, respond to those requests, we become a little bit more of a responsible connector. A responsive connector is somebody who is being asked to connect who's being asked of a favor. So they are out there, you know, they've been social, they've been curious, they've been putting themselves in these situations so that people are requesting things of them. And so going from emerging to responsive connector. If you want to go up to an acting connector, you have to start initiating. You have to start initiating the reach out. You have to start initiating um, adding value to your network. And when you're starting to do that, then you are a connector. You are an acting connector. You have infused the mindsets into your practices. You're doing it. And that's great. You might not need to go any further. The other lever that we can pull is the breadth and depth of our connections. So if we have depth in a certain area, whether it's geography, whether it's industry, whether it's job function, I know everybody in blank. If you can say that, or um, like we call this one woman the mayor of our town. Everybody knows her. It doesn't matter. She knows everybody. And it's like, she only has two kids. Like, yeah. Oh, no, you know. Okay. So <laughs> I have another friend who describes his wife as the mayor of the town, and but it's Hastings on Hudson. So She's probably a niche connector. She knows everybody in a certain area, and that's great. And so within that area, she's really able to be helpful and influential and, uh, and can connect people. And when she needs something within that network, she can probably get it done faster, easier, and better. What she hasn't maybe done is have a breadth of connection. So she has depth, but not necessarily breadth. Once you have breadth of connection, and breadth means that you have people outside of geographic regions, you have outside of industry, outside of function, outside of level, outside of geographic, demographic, and all those differences, right? It's expanding and diversifying your network. Now you are a super connector. And if you cross your country's borders, you're a global super connector. So I guess what you described is like, I read that it's, you were describing a, a layout, like a, a map of the territory that a lot of people go through one, then the next, and the next. And as you develop part... And I would guess a lot of people listening are probably thinking, oh, that's, I can't really get that far. But it, it sounds like you walk people through a, a process, a, a journey 
that each step makes the next step more accessible. Each step makes the next step more fun. And it enables it like it happens exponentially faster, right? Because you're you're always getting that advantage. So we started this conversation with saying that the book hit number one because of the connector's advantage. It's because I included, when I started writing the book, I reached out to somebody for a millennial view. And then they connected me to somebody else. And then they connected me to somebody else. And then I thought, ooh, you know, this person has a really interesting perspective on connectors. And and I ended up with 30, I think, experts in the book contributing their expertise in different areas um, I did a great piece on how to be an inclusive connector with um, two people who are maybe on the outskirts of, of the norm in their areas. And so it was fabulous. And so what happened on launch day was every single person who contributed to the book was like, hey, I'm so proud this book came out and I'm part of it. That's the connector's advantage. It happens faster, easier, and better. First of all, I wish I'd met you 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> instead of a mere 15 or 10 whatever years ago. And partly because... If you had spoken to me then, if I'd heard what you said then, if you had said that, I probably would have been like, give me the book. <laughs> but if, I, if when those concepts hit me, I would think, yeah, yeah, that's for other people. But I'm, I don't know that. It's too complicated. Like, I'm not like that. Oh, my God. Yes, you are. That's the thing. Yeah. Yes, you are. Because you did it for me. When we met a few years back at a hotel lobby to catch up before I caught on my train. Yes, by the, yeah. Yes, I remember this. And you were telling me that um, you were doing something with Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah. And at the time, I had not yet met Marshall Goldsmith. And I don't know if you connected me to him or not, but it was you and you mentioning it and making me realize he was accessible mm -hmm. that had me at some point reach out to him. And he not only contributed to the book, he gave me an endorsement for the front cover. All right. <laughs> so a lot of times we do these things, but we don't recognize it happening. And a lot of people out there are thinking, oh, well, those are for the extroverts. No, no, no. I will tell you that some of the best connectors I know are introverts because we just do it. That's what I wanted to get at. Is that I really would have thought it impossible for me before. If you had met me before, long before, you'd be like, Josh has no chance. Well, you wouldn't be like Josh has no chance, but most people would say that about me and they probably would say, and I'm sure many listeners, despite the word leadership in the title of the podcast, many people probably discount their ability to do this. And I think someone who can walk them through and demonstrate, I mean, anyone listening to you, like there's no way that anyone could describe you being as anything less than completely hundred percent authentic and genuine. Thank and you. I would like to say I was saying it as a compliment, but I'm just saying like, it's impossible not to say it to like that you come off that way. And, but I'm also hearing that you weren't always that way because you would put people off or maybe you're being authentic in, a, in, a, in an off-putting way. I think I didn't have the mindset of abundance back then. Mm -hmm. I actually remember about 15 years ago, probably about the time that we met, uh, I went through a program, a leadership program, and we had to pick words that we wanted to strive for. And they wanted to pick the word open for me. And I, my response was, no, thank you. Closed works for me. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm good. Mm -mm. It's protected me. You know, I, I had not always the easiest upbringing and I had a pretty thick uh, outer shell and I had a pretty good chip on my shoulder as well. And so it did take a long time to shed those things and to recognize um, and believe in abundance rather than that scarcity feeling that I had my whole life. And um, so, yeah, I do think that these things can be learned. I don't think these things came naturally to mm -hmm. me. And that's the gift I want to give people. I actually put mindset missions inside the book so that they can think about how to take the practice and, and infuse it into their life. 
Yeah, I feel like if people are thinking, well, I don't want to write a bestseller, correct me if I'm wrong, you are enabling them to do in their life for themselves based on their values what you did in your life based on your values. It's whatever they're working on. I can give you statistic after statistic about how connections will empower and enable. So if they're looking for a new job, 85% comes from who you know, not what you know. It's from networking. Promotion, 70% more likely to have a promotion within one year if you've got an active mentor relationship. I think 92% of people trust referrals from people that they know and are four times more likely to buy. People do business with people they like over better prices, over better products. I mean, even health. I love this. Julia Holt Lundstadt, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, out of Brigham Young University, did research on social isolation and the loneliness epidemic. And it has more impact on your health than obesity. It's more detrimental to your uh, health. Than to, to be lonely. To, to be, be lonely, mm-hmm. to be socially isolated. It is equal on your mortality to smoking 15 cigarettes a day for 10 years. Wow. So it is what are you working on? What are you striving for? Getting connected will help you accomplish it, period. I don't know if I'm going too far off on that. You made me think of that, you know, people say that the opposite of addiction is is community or is, I think they say community. Oh, I never heard that. I like that though. Yeah, it's, uh, I might be getting the words a little bit off. And yeah, because community, when you have a supportive community, it, it's, I feel like that epidemic, and there's several ep- epidemics in this country, in this world. And so what you're bringing is the opposite of those things. I mean, you know, I, I doubt you're like, oh, let's solve the opioid crisis. <laughs> but I feel like you're moving in the opposite direction. I don't think schools are, this is not what's taught in school. Are, are, you, aware of cla- are you aware of classes in high school or college that teach this? I have been brought out to some universities to talk about it, and I love going to schools to talk about it, but not at the um, not at the younger ages. No, they can learn it too, right? It, yeah, yeah are- I actually do say this to my kids that that, that the connections are so important, and, and my younger son is is quite shy, and he has a great, wonderful group of friends, but he's very hesitant to meet normal people. And I say, life is about meeting people, and you know, and, and just saying hello. And just asking a question and just giving him somebody who really actually has social anxiety, just a little step. Like, here, just try this one or two things. And he's not going to be the global super connector. And that's okay. As I said, we don't all need to strive to be that. But just to stay connected is what we need to be. I wonder if you can share stories of, of your kids, but maybe clients or you do a lot of work with corporations. Yes. And do you have stories of, of people who have you've seen them a year after they worked with you or something like that? Oh, yeah. I actually, one guy comes to mind. Um, it was at um, Johnson & Johnson subsidiary, and he was in, like, God knows what supply chain operation type of role. It was one of those things that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his manager said that he's brilliant and nobody knows it. Mm-hmm. And the way in which he carried himself and the way in which he interacted with people was preventing him from elevating his career. So they brought me in and I worked with him for about six months and then just touched base with him over the next year, just kind of checking in. He was British. Um, and so again, he was very reserved and his, he felt that he was being um, prying and pushy and nosy if he asked questions of his people. And so shifting his mindset around, you're not trying to be nosy. You're trying to show that you care and that you have interest. So don't ask if you don't really want to know. And I gave him things to do to build his internal network. 
uh, and we got them on LinkedIn and we just did things like that. Within a year and a half of the time that, so we worked together for six months. Um, within six months of that, he was promoted. Within six months of that, he was on a global team, <laughs> um, which was like an advisor committee. So he still got his, he had his promotion job, but he was also on this special, you know, global team around the world to do some initiative within the organization. So he got real connected. See, it happens that a lot of people listening to this podcast are brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of brilliance sometimes, if it's trapped without connections, it's, it might not be that rewarding. It's also one of the ways, and, and there's a piece of this that's communication. And that's one of my areas of, of specialty is, is understanding how we are communicating. And I talk about communicating to connect. And the communication that he had was very internal. And this happens with a lot of introverts, I will say, that a lot of introverts tend to be internal processors and extroverts tend to be external processors, and both have issues. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of being aware of which way in which you process information and how to bring that other person along with you in whichever way you're doing it. So if you're internally processing, I have to give you information because you don't know that's happening. And so I might say something like, let me think about that for a moment, or here's where, where my head is going. And I'm just giving you a clue that I'm figuring something out. Versus the extrovert has to say, well, let me just think out loud for a second. <laughs> because otherwise I'm trying to figure out where you're going and you don't know where you're going. And so now I'm like, I'm going to stop listening. <laughs> this is really for everybody. This, is pretty, this sounds pretty comprehensive. Yeah, we all need these things. And I guess, you, say you describe yourself as an extrovert, to know how introverts work is useful because you're working with other people and, and vice versa and so forth. Yeah. And to know, um, and what I said earlier about enabling connection and enabling likability, to be able to listen with your eyes as well as your ears. To know, okay, so you might know this, your audience might have guessed this, I am an off-the-charts extrovert. <laughs> have you always been? I have. Okay. I've actually toned it down, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I toned it down because I started to listen with my eyes. And I started to recognize, as I said, I was polarizing. I was too much for some people. I was just too much. I was too much for my husband when we met. Uh, I think he didn't um, ask me out for like a year and a half because I probably didn't stop long enough for him to get a word <laughs> in edgewise, right? Because I just would fill up all the space, all the empty space. All I just didn't allow silence. Just kept going, 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 going. So it was too much. I was too intense. And when I started to recognize why it wasn't working, I'm able to flex. And to flex is the temporary, momentary, non-permanent adjustment of our style to enable an interaction with somebody else to be more effective. So I'm not changing who I am. I'll never be the quiet girl, but I can talk a little lower. I can talk a little slower. I can take a few more breaths. I can let somebody talk first. I can ask more questions. I can do all of those things to bring myself into a place that enables somebody to see I'm more than just <laughs> so putting the other person first. It's, it's not about the other person. And this is actually a really interesting, it is and it's not. This is a delineation that I like to make. When I talk about the concept of relationship networking, of connection, it's not about them and it's not about you. It's about how you two interact with each other. And it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to do these things and it's going to work in every interaction. No, you have to see how it's going to work with this person. I'm making you think again, aren't I? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, something inside me was like, how do I translate what she said to make it useful for my listeners? I was like, it was right there. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were talking about leadership, I talk about being a relationship-driven leader. 
And there's only only two things that I teach, and I'm not I'm not giving it away to your listeners. They got to come see me speak somewhere to find out what the two things they need to do are. Um, but there's only really two things that leaders need to do to start to shift to be a relationship driven leader. And when you are a relationship driven leader, you are going to have higher engagement. You're going to have uh, lower turnover. You're going to have um, deeper loyalty. You're going to have higher productivity. And you can't lead if you don't have people who want to follow. Are you also going to have more fun? I think so. I mean, oh, actually, statistics, you know me and my my statistics. I love statistics. Um, Studies show that when you have close work relationships, it predicts your happiness at work and boosts your productivity by 50%. Are you happier now than you were? Are you a happier person now than, are you continually getting more happy? And is it related to this? I am happy. I feel good. And I, one of the things I also learned and that I, um, I tried to teach my children is that you can't control anybody else's reaction. You can only feel good about how you respond in a situation. And I'm able to walk away from most situations and say, I feel good. I don't necessarily love the outcome, but I feel good about what I did. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. I'm going to use that as a segue. This might be too big of a jolt, but it's leadership. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about leadership Mm -hmm. and the environment. I was waiting for the environment to come up. (laughs) And... You know, one of the things I ask people, and this is at your option, because it's up to you if you want to, and we can edit it out if you want, is uh, I ask people, what does the environment mean to them? I, and partly because what you're talking about is pretty absent in the environmental world. There's a lot of people out there like doom and gloom, guilt and blame. Are those effective ways of, do you find that those are effective ways of building relationships and connections or leading people? I don't think in those terms at all. And, I don't feel that. Oh, can you say more about that? You have said a lot of times deprivation and doom and gloom. And I'm like, I don't connect to that. I don't, maybe I don't let it in. I don't hear it. I don't know. But I don't connect when you say that people feel this way. And that, I think is like, that's that's why I want to bring people like you to the environment. Because you're effective. (laughs) You like what you're doing. And there's a lot of, I mean, there there is some environmental change. People are changing their behavior somewhat. But not on the scale that people could. And they're not finding the joy and discovery and, and meaning and purpose that I think is there, that I found. And I feel like that's what you help people find. So whether the environment is something that you've thought about or concerned about, I think bringing your voice to that community will help that community. I'm a nature girl. I've always, I was the kid who watched the um, National Geographic specials every Saturday morning on TV and wow. dreamed of going to Africa to see the Serengeti Plains, which I did in my late 20s. Wow. And um, we're now planning a trip to bring my son because he's very much like me and we love animals and we love nature. And for me, seeing animals the way that they were meant to live was mind altering. I had trouble. I didn't want to come home. (laughs) I'd still be in Africa if I could have been. I couldn't go to a zoo for a very long time. And I recognize- Because you're seeing the animals, but not in their natural habitat. Not the way they're meant to be living. But I do respect zoos and I- respect what they're trying to accomplish. And um, I think education is so important. And I think the um, breeding programs are so important. So I'm not against zoos. I just, um, I struggled with the difference in how they're living. Um, So 
I, I, yes, I've always been a nature girl. They actually say the Generation X is very focused on the environment and recycling was a big thing when we were growing up. And, you know, we had the separate bins in our house. And I recently listened to a masterclass by Jane Goodall, who was one of my heroes. And I actually am hoping to go see the Mountain Gorillas in 2020. Uh, <laughs> my friend works for Gorilla Doctor. She's helping me set it up. But to listen to her talk about waste really landed with me. And waste bothers me. <laughs> I, and like the straw, so I have a metal straw at home and I have to admit I haven't used it. Although I don't use a lot of straws at home, but I haven't brought it with me to restaurants, you know, and I have a lot of those reusable bottles and we have a filter on our house so that we can use tap water and things like that. But there's just so much waste and I hate waste. <laughs> so I'm hearing a love of animals, especially in their natural habitat, yeah. uh, seeing them, sharing that with your family. Then on the flip side, there's also a hatred of waste. And this sounds pretty deep. It sounds pretty meaningful to you. Yeah. You know, we, my family and I, um, about once a month, we uh, make food and feed the soup kitchen through our temple. And I thought it was really important for my kids to understand that not everybody has all that they have. And my kids were great. They would escort people to their table. They would, you know, ask if they wanted anything else. They served the community and really enjoyed it. And they would do it with, they were serving food with a smile. It was just so wonderful. So when we had my older son's bar mitzvah and there's an abundance of food, I contacted the place in advance and I said, what do you do with the excess food? I, you know, there's places that we can arrange it to be sent. And they wouldn't do it. And it bothers me still. Did they not do it because of some law? I don't know if it's a law or their policy or what or the liability of it because it's opened containers and there could be germs or something. I understand liability and all of that, but but it just oh so much waste. Yeah. <laughs> As an aside, there's I'm not a lawyer, but I've come across some good Samaritan laws that that Trump. A lot of people think a lot of places will say we can't do it because of the law, and actually the law. And someone has to do the research on this because I I don't know the final word, but I believe that in almost every state, actually you can. So they might not know that, but if, but anyway, that's that's an aside. Well, I've got another bar mitzvah coming up, so maybe with the next one, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Uh, Come back to me and I'll I'll try to find where I found that, that uh, Good Samaritan law thing. So based on these, on, I don't know, it could be the passion for the animals. It could be the sharing with the family. It could be with the, the hatred of the waste. I ask you at your option, I invite you to think of something that you could do to act on one of these values. And there's a few constraints. The, the big one is you don't have to fix all the world's problems by yourself overnight. <laughs> it's you. not the magnitude. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's not because a lot of people feel like if I don't fix everything, I, I, there's no point in doing anything. But I found that that's not people. It's not how big the thing is. It's if they do something at all, because it generally leads to more. So you don't have to fix all the world's problems all by yourself overnight. Uh, it can't be something you're already doing. It can't be telling someone else what to do. It has to be something you're doing. It has to be measurable. So awareness or education, that's nice. I'm not going to stop anyone from doing that, but it's something behavior related. And some people have something that they've been thinking, you know, I've been meaning to try X for a while. Like you, you've already switched straws. Some people are like, oh, you know, I could switch straws. And some people, it has, takes a little bit of going back and forth to come up with something. I mean, I haven't brought my straw to restaurants, so I could do that. I have my metal straw <laughs> and I haven't traveled with it. And I, 
was at a restaurant last night and I asked for a second glass of water. They brought me another glass of water with another straw and it bothered me that now I wasted two straws. <laughs> it's a little silly, little something, but I think about all of the plastic that ends up in our oceans and I'm a scuba diver mm-hmm. and I want to protect the oceans from all of this crap. And so I, I've been trying to... Um, bring the recycling bags, the, not the, the reusable bags to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this will give you a sense of my son. I've gotten, I always keep them in the car, but then I forget to take them out of the car with me. And so lately I've been a lot better with trying to remember to take them. And so maybe this is my commitment is no, no uh, reusable, not, no non-reusable bags when I'm shopping. Um, I came home with all of these, uh, you know, satchels and my, my son's like, I'm so proud of you, mom. <laughs> I like how you're connecting it to the family. And, you know, I, I have to say that, see that canvas bag over there hanging? That's my, oh, yes. that's all my garbage. And when that fills up, I walk down the hall and empty down the trash chute. So my, my question to you is when did I last walk down the hall and empty that? I don't know. I can't see. I'm too short. <laughs> so it's the size well, of a regular know, canvas a bag. The last time I emptied it was September. Wow. So, yeah. Now, when I first started this. Do you have a garbage disposal? No. Well, the compost, there's a oh, little bowl compost. for compost. Okay. And when that fills up, it goes in the freezer. And the re- I have recycling, so paper and metal and plastic. But those I take out like once a year also. But when I first started it, it was, I was, it would take me a week to fill that up. And then after a while, I was avoiding packaged foods. Mm. And then a little while later, it was two weeks. And then it was a little way later, it was a month. And, you know, there's no way I could have gone from a week frequency to over a year frequency. But looking back now, once I started, there's, it became inevitable. And that's why when people think, someone might think straws, that's not a big deal. But if you felt that way, then you would also, I think the same logic would say that if you wanted to play piano at Carnegie Hall, then playing scales is not worth it because what's one scale, mm. but that's how everyone gets there. And that's why I don't think the it's magnitude. Small. Yeah. It's starting with where you are. I, I think the whole thing with um, it, it, the plastic bags bother me. Mm. I think the plastic bag is one of the most dangerous things out there to our environment. Mm. And if I can minimize my usage of plastic bags in all the shopping that I do, I would feel pretty good. Let's make, can we make it a smart goal? Sure. Okay. So it sounded to me pretty specific or let's work on the time. How long, over what period of time do you think would be a good period to? Forever. Well, (laughs) because I want to have you on a second time. I want to ask what the experience was like. How long before it like takes root and you feel like you can talk about it meaningfully? I don't know. If you're up for a second conversation. I'm always up for a second conversation. I I don't know if I have all these answers right now in terms of, uh, because I don't go shopping that often. Hmm. Um, But I also think it might apply to, um, going to the mall and clothing stores, like always bringing a bag with me is a habit that's going to take some mind shift, which is all what I'm about. Like, like my book is about mindset and mind shift. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm doing it outside of the connector world. I'm doing it in the environmental world. I, I, I would say at least three months, three probably, months, at least three months before I'm remembering to do it as a habit. Okay. And then, um, is it specific enough for you that you know what you're going to do? Yes. Okay. Then after we finish recording, if it's okay with you, we'll schedule that. Because then people get to hear someone, like a leader in action. My prediction is that, again, not to try to lead the witness, I tell this to a lot of people, two big things that come up 
other people and travel. These are throw monkey wrenches in that sometimes I'm curious to hear how people handle these things because you can't predict everything. And sometimes it's, you're going to be with someone and like, hey, let's go shopping. And they're going to like mm-hmm. stick something in your hand before you have a chance. You're like, ah, what do I do? You're- I also can put things in my purse as long as I have the receipt. <laughs> so, so you don't take the bag from the store. There are going to be th- curveballs that right now you couldn't possibly predict. And how you handle them, you know, some people are like, I will, no matter what happens, I will steadfastly make it through. And some people are like, you know, if it, the one thing that doesn't work is if things don't go your way, you're like, oh, I can't do it. I give up. I don't believe in the um, all or none mm-hmm. because I think when we set extremes for ourselves, we are discouraged too easily. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I do in all of my practices is um, when we mess up, acknowledge and restart. And so I don't believe that we need to strive for perfection or extreme but if we are making shifts in the right direction, then we can feel good about it. And as I said, as long as I can feel good about the shift, then I'm not worrying about, oh, if somebody put a bag in my hand once. This is the kind of thing I'm trying to bring to environmental. It's like, that sounded like you're speaking from experience. It wasn't like you're like some principle that you read somewhere. Yeah, that's just my philosophy. I don't know where it comes from, but I think, uh, I think I've seen people give up too many times. And I think you know, as soon as you break a habit, then you were like, okay, well, I broke the habit, so now we're done. And we don't keep trying. And I think that reset of acknowledging and reset is the only thing that gets you back on track. I look forward to the next conversation. I'd like to wrap up. Is, is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up, if not like a whole lot of things? <laughs> or is there any message you want to give direct, that you would like to give directly to the listeners? I would just hope that anybody out there listening um, can take away that all of this is accessible. And that you don't, even if you don't have that clear vision yet, one of the things you talk about is, you know, no idea is needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, getting into these mindsets and getting them into being the practice of your interactions, when you figure out what it is you're working on, that network, that connections, they will be there to support you. I appreciate the support you've given me over all these years that we've known each other. And I hope, I, I hope I've given some fraction of it back. Absolutely. Michelle Letterman. Author of the number one, multiple number one best-selling book, The Connector's Advantage, as well as The 11 Laws of Likeability. And they can go to theconnectorsadvantage.com and find out about it. And actually, my website, Michelle with two L's, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com is a great way to connect with me, find my YouTube, find my blog. I love hearing from listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The self-leadership aspect of this podcast is rooted in changing yourself, your identity, your story, your inner monologue. Michelle lives this practice. She writes about it. She shares it for you to develop. She helps you develop it. You can hear with a lot of empathy and compassion. These skills are among the most important that you can learn. The environment sounded moderately important to her, but she sounds like she's taking up her challenge with enthusiasm. Too many people present environmental action as a chore. I try to lead people to feel otherwise, to feel it's something they can look forward to, something based on their values, something that improves their lives. It sounded to me like Michelle made that transformation for herself automatically. So I look forward to hearing how it goes. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. 
You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.